Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really enacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? You know, that is the important question that I always ask addicts. How badly do you want it? Do you want to change your life and develop intimacy with your community, your loved ones, your wife or husband, and if you're single, do you want to be authentic, transparent, and honest, perhaps for the first time ever? I really believe that. I believe it's necessary to live your purpose and your passion in life. And so you're cheating yourself if you think you can get by with being a liar, with being a scoundrel, with being a duper. Yeah, I mean, you know that you need to change this about yourself or you wouldn't be listening to this show right now. I'm absolutely convinced about that. This show is for sex addicts and for partners who want to make their life better. And, you know, one of the things that I really believe is that oftentimes, as with most addictions, Slips and relapses are part of recovery. Now, it's always tough because when we say that with drugs and alcohol, we know that to be true. But when we say that with sex addiction, although it's true, if you're in a relationship with somebody, he or she, probably she, is sitting around going, I can't continue to take these slips. I can't take the relapses. I have to have him work harder at this. So tonight, you know, I'm going to be talking with Galen Ray Emerson, who's put together a relapse preparedness workshop. And I heard about this, and I said, Galen, I want to know more about your techniques and what do you tell Specifically partners, but if you're an addict listening to the show tonight, you will get a lot out of this too because you'll understand yourself better and why you fall prey to a lot of the uh, landmines that are out there. And what I know to be true is that you do want to stop the slipping. You want to stop relapses. Most of the men that I work with, they may have an occasional slip, but they do not relapse because they know the tools to stop that from happening. And most of the partners that I work with, you know, if their husbands, boyfriends, 
whatever have a slip, they want to know about it immediately. Now, some of them don't. Some of them say, you know, talk to your sponsor, talk to your fellowship, leave me out of it. I don't need the trigger. But more often than not, I have partners that say, I want to know. I want to know within 24 hours. I want to know within 12 hours. I want to know within two hours. And as a partner, you get to decide, when is it that you want to know? What would make you feel the safest? You see, recovering sex addicts make better choices when they're able to see what the consequences of their actions are, and it just helps them to make better decisions. So tonight we're going to be talking to Galen Ray Emerson, who has created a relapse preparedness presentation just for us. And um, I'm real excited about having her on the show. Now, earlier tonight, Boo and I, you may go, Boo, who's Boo? Well, if you've seen any of my YouTubes, you know Boo is my puppy. Well, he's not a puppy. He's almost three, but he looks like a puppy. And we um, make videos for partners and addicts and the coupleship on Sex Help with Carol the Coach on YouTube. So I encourage you to go tonight. I should have it up uh, probably about 10:15, and find out about the sandwich technique. You see, when addicts are in good recovery and they work at trying to establish that with their loved one, it can be very difficult for the loved one to believe. They've been lied to. They've been misled, they've been manipulated, they've been misdirected, they they don't want to believe it when an addict really is honest and open about his communication. And so oftentimes an addict will you'll spend a lot of time really trying to convey your truest feelings, because you're working with a therapist like me that says, okay, it's time to be honest, it's time to be authentic, it's time to empathize. And so you do it. And unfortunately what happens is that your partner jabs you. She doubts you. She offends you. She's critical of you. And you may think, this is never going to work. But I promise you that if you keep at it, and you should, you've caused her a lot of pain, and you need to do whatever it takes to make it right. If you keep at it, eventually she's going to believe you. When you combine honest communication, empathy, and good recovery, then I promise you that your spouse is going to begin to believe what you're saying. Does that mean you stay together? Well, not necessarily. More often than not, yes. But sometimes that's not enough to make a difference. But you have to have those three components. What are they again? Their good communication, their empathy, and their good recovery. And so I always say to any of my clients, whether they're addicts or they're depressed or they're wanting to take their life to the next level, I say, you know what, you're 100% accountable for your behavior. So no matter who I'm talking to out there tonight, you are 100% responsible for your behavior. I don't care what happened in your life. If you're an addict with trauma, I do care about that, but that is not reason to act out and betray people that you love. If you're a spouse who's had trauma, that is not any reason not to take good care of yourself to include an incredible recipe of self-care, to create fellowship of women or men that can help you through this process, and 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 actually help you to feel safety and stabilization. 
Now, in other words, I am saying we all are 100% responsible for our behavior, not for what happens to us by any stretch of the imagination, but for our behavior. And that means we get to decide what do we need to do to get healthier? What do we need to do to get better? And if you're telling me as an addict that you can't find recovery because your wife or spouse is too... um, critical of you and won't believe you, I say that's a bunch of of horse manure. You have that responsibility to get healthy, no matter who believes you, who criticizes you, or who's in your life. And if you're a partner, you know, this is the worst trauma that could occur when there is sexual betrayal, and I know that. But you, too, can get stronger, healthier, and live your best life. Maybe not today, because you're in that trauma mode, but guaranteed, if you keep working on yourself three, four, five years from now, you will be stronger as a result of this calamity whether you're with him or without him, whether you're with her or without her. That is my promise. But you got to work your tools, too. And I'm sorry for the partner because you didn't deserve it, you didn't ask for it, you didn't create it, and now you are working overtime on it. But, you know, if you had cancer, you would be deciding what foods to ingest that were healthier what books to read that were better, what air you should breathe that is cleaner. You would be deciding that even though you didn't invite cancer into your life. So, okay, remember my coaching principle. I am 100% responsible for my behavior. My second coaching principle that I really believe in, you know, you're talking to Carol the coach here. I'm a mental health therapist, but I'm also a coach. The principle that I encourage my clients to work like crazy and that I work for myself is I go in for the big ask. That's A-S-K. Now, that means that you don't sit around isolated. You don't keep the secret to yourself. You don't um, protect somebody for fear of exposing him or her, what you do is you find safe people that you can talk to about this. You learn how to breathe and how to slow down the body. You decide what to put in your mind that can help you with your urges and your cravings, with the betrayal trauma. You can do it. I promise I've been doing this for years now. You absolutely can make your life different. It is work, but it's a good investment in who you are. And when you do that, then you can decide how to proceed. Now, again, Galen Ray Emerson is a woman, um, sometimes I call her the divorce coach or separation coach or therapeutic separation coach, in that She's not afraid of advising women what they need to do to get safe. And sometimes women need to get a separation or a therapeutic separation or a divorce to feel safe again. But other times she is instrumental in helping partners and addicts stay together by having good boundaries and a good relapse preparedness program set up so that they know what to do when the triggers come and there's infractions and more fracturing in the relationship. So tonight I'm excited for her to be talking about what she has found in her practice. She is a coach. And, you know, one of the beautiful things about this program is that I interview experts in the field all over the world. 
and she has a website, womeneverafter.com, and her email is gaelyn, T-A-E-L-Y-N, Ray, R-A-E, at womeneveraster.com. She has made it her mission to be there for women, and I'm telling you, I just recommended a wonderful book tonight by, by Dr. Sherry Keffer, um, Intimate and Deceptions. And I'm, I'm telling you, this book is amazing. So I want you to know that what you put into your brain, who you listen to, and what kind of support you have is going to make all the difference in the world. And that's why we have this show so that you can feel the most safety and stabilization if you're a partner to know what to do because let's face it this is uncharted territory you don't know what to do and if you're a sex addict what i believe to be true is if you're working in good recovery it's still you are a work in progress and you too need to know what the pitfalls are so that you stay out of the landmines and you work on healthy recovery, and you don't slip, and you don't relapse. So, Galen, welcome to the show. Oh, we're so excited to have you talking about relapse preparedness. Hi, Carol. It's nice to hear your voice. Yes, you too. And, boy, this is a big topic because it's very difficult for people to know what to do when there appears to be a slip, a fracture, a relapse in the relationship. So let me ask you a little bit. You know, you say when things are good for a while, it can begin to feel safe, but slowly or suddenly, sometimes sex addicts, they they let their guard down and they don't stay safe and they have slips and relapses. And, of course, if they're in a relationship with somebody, it makes it really difficult to trust the relationship. Women need to know what to do to make a difference in their life. So tell me a little bit about why did you decide to look into this topic and um, to develop this relapse preparedness concept? Yeah, so my vision for relapse preparedness kind of evolved from three distinct ideas or awarenesses, which kind of all happened to collide precisely in the right time and space. So first, within my capacity as a coach, as well as just being a woman among other women, recovering myself from sexual betrayal trauma, I was hearing on a daily basis this really deep fear and anxiety partners expressed that their loved ones might relapse. In other words, that their loved ones would step away from recovery and healing and instead return toward previous patterns of compulsive and secretive sexual behavior. So at a very basic level, I've always known that relapse is a topic of significant concern to us as partners who are surviving and healing from sexual betrayal trauma. Um, Secondly, because I work so closely with professionals who treat and support clients who are the sex addicts in the relationships, I've begun to hear these professionals, and these are people whom I really admire and respect, talk about relapse prevention strategies. So the ways that sex and porn addicts can structure recovery plans to minimize the likelihood of their return to these compulsive sexual behaviors. And so as I listen to these professionals address those legitimately loaded topics so passionately and so proactively with their sex addict clients, I recognize that as partners of sex addicts, my clients and I couldn't do that footwork, the the footwork involved in preventing a relapse. But the idea got me thinking that even if the job of preventing a relapse doesn't fall within our reach and responsibility, that doesn't mean that we need to sit back passively and leave our emotional fate in the hands of the sex addicts with whom we share life. So that planted the seed for me to begin asking myself and my colleagues, so if we can't actively prevent the pain and trauma of a possible relapse, what kind of productive and proactive actions can we take on our own behalf in the meantime? So the third awareness with that that brought this whole relapse preparedness idea kind of 
together for me. Um, and this one goes back to 2012 in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. So at that time, I was working part-time as a freelance writer for some different publications. And one of my clients hired me to write an article on active emergency preparedness. So basically, encouraging families to plan for and prepare for the worst-case scenario. In that case, it was national natural disasters, um, while simultaneously hoping and praying those worst-case scenarios wouldn't ever become necessary. So my subtitle for that article was Just In Case. And fast forward a few years when I began to brainstorm these ways that partners of sex addicts could actually do something with these concerns about relapse rather than just sitting and waiting for something that may or may not happen, I stumbled into this fantastic little metaphor, point of comparison between those two otherwise unrelated, unwanted experiences. And so that's how my passion for relapse preparedness was conceived and developed and eventually born. That totally makes sense. Now, obviously, people are probably clamoring to find out about this preparedness course because it helps women to feel safe. Tell me a little bit about what you consider relapse preparedness. I mean, from a sex addiction slash partner betrayal trauma perspective, what is relapse preparedness? Right. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the the trauma-informed perspective on all of this because for me what it boils down to is helping partners be able to, when they're not in a trauma response, you know, so before the potential event happens, to be able to put their best recovery efforts into planning for their best idea. And again, you know, it's one of those situations you don't really know until you're in it, but their best projections of what are the internal resources that they can apply to safety and stability in the event of that issue, or what are the external resources to whom they can reach out in those sorts of situations. So obviously, number one, safety and stability. Number two, giving themselves time to contextualize and to absorb the emotions of what's happening. And, you know, when we do this relapse preparedness thing, my client said, we get really, really practical. So, you know, we talk about things like if you need to take a few days off work, do you have an excuse, you know, a legitimate, honest reason that you can send your boss that isn't going to get them all up in your business or whatever, you know, about why you need that time off? Or can you put away some money to be able to go spend a day or two in a hotel by yourself, you know, if that's what you need to collect yourself and and feel your feelings before you're ready to kind of move forward with life. And then back into that third stage of trauma resolution, that reconnection phase, one of the things that I work a lot with my clients on is, okay, so now that you're going to be feeling the intensity of all of this distress about your situation with your partner, how can you somehow leverage that into making some positive changes for yourself so that you're not sticking and stuck in this place of reacting to what somebody else did, but you're actually pulling your power back and getting proactive about something that you want for your life and actually utilizing that as a way to heal from the trauma that you've suffered due to the relapse. Got it. Well, okay, so now let me ask you, you know, last year you had wrote an article for Covenant Eyes, and I always endorse Covenant Eyes as one of the best filtering programs Mm -hmm. that can help loved ones know what their husbands or wives are looking at. I, I just really think Covenant Eyes is a wonderful program, and obviously they have some great articles, and you were part of that. When you wrote that article for Covenant Eyes, you described your own experience with living through an unexpected relapse. And so tell us a little bit about your life and for someone, for anybody who's listening who hasn't been through this, can you describe some of the feelings that women commonly express in the aftermath of a relapse? Right. So, you know, in my situation, I, I, I opened the article that I wrote by sharing a story about how I was I was feeling extremely safe and secure and grounded in my recovery with my sex addict husband. And I was not in this preparedness mode. I wasn't even on my radar at that point. And ultimately, although the pain of his relapse was difficult to get past, the part of it that was the most difficult was the shock factor or that surprise factor. So that's what I like to provide for my clients is kind of an increased sense of anticipation so that if or when that moment strikes, it won't necessarily come so much out of the blue. 
But, you know, for partners who choose to stay in relationships after discovering their loved one's compulsive sexual behavior, there really is an incalculable amount of emotional risk involved. And so when that emotional risk is met with ongoing incidents of sexual acting out, the wounds from a partner's initial discoveries are often deepened and worsened and fundamentally destabilizing both her past and present, but also her future efforts toward trauma recovery. So when I hear clients describe uh, relapse, the, the, the words that they use are most often involving some component or manifestation of some sort of physical violence or wounding. So the one I hear most frequently is ripping the scab off of my wounds, so that's how it feels, um, pulling the rug up from under me, being stabbed in the back, being taken for granted, um, being betrayed with a kiss is one that I heard one time that struck me very poignantly. Um, breaking my heart all over again or knocking me back to square one, you know, kind of going back to the, the place where this, this whole recovery bit was supposed to begin in the first place. So, you know, through these and other expressions, one of the things that I, I like to do is, so those are ones we've heard before, but, but there's something that's really a unique and singular aspect to the emotional impact of relapse that I observe and that I think is really important for us to recognize. And that's that sense of internalized grief or that self-doubt and self-indictment. So, you know, we've all heard that saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So that mm -hmm. concept is really present for partners who decide to stay and try to salvage their traumatized relationships. So I often hear my clients say they feel stupid for believing that their loved ones might actually change. They say they feel pitiful and pathetic. Those are the two P words I hear all the time for choosing to stay and for hoping to experience healing rather than this recurrence of harm. So in the aftermath of a relapse, clients often feel like they somehow asked for it to happen or they express fear that they did something wrong to trigger the relapse or express regret over something they didn't do that they think maybe they should have done to support their partner's recovery. So without a doubt across the board, clients express this increase in emotional distress and this decrease in their hope and faith in recovery, which just makes so much sense, especially when early attempts at healing within the relationship can be seemingly invalidated by the sexual relapse and the betrayal trauma that accompanies it. Yeah, I, you know, that is one of the biggest um, injustices of being betrayed is that anybody who's been betrayed, especially more than once, begins to doubt herself. And she wonders, mm -hmm. what's wrong with my intuition? What's wrong mm -hmm. with my judgment? And, you know, certainly there have been a lot of speculation that there's a shame that goes with partner betrayal trauma because they begin to wonder if their friends are thinking that something's wrong with them. Are their kids beginning to doubt their role modeling? I mean, it really is a huge injustice for them because what they're really trying to do is keep their coupleship together, and they want to believe that right. their spouses, husbands, or wives um, are finally getting it and finally wanting to to make the best out of the situation and to develop empathy with them. And, you know, even tonight, um, Galen, I, I did a video on what do you do when the wife or the spouse doesn't believe you? Maybe she jabs you because you're trying to be honest, and she can't believe it. She's got to protect herself. She's been duped too many times, and so she's in the relationship, but she doesn't trust anything because it's an unsafe situation for her. And you're saying that you have a preparedness workshop that helps people to decide what their boundaries are, what are the consequences. Tell us a little bit about that workshop. Right. So one of the reasons this is, it's, it's always been important for me to do this relapse preparedness work in a group with other women is specifically mm -hmm. because it surfaces so many of those anxieties and fears that, you know, without a community of support can actually be really scary and potentially even dangerous for women to try to work through on their own or partners to try to work through. Um, and so within this group, basically what we do is it's five different sessions, and we start out by talking about experience 
experience and awareness of relapse. So what are the things we believe about it? What has been our past encounters with it? Um, what are some of the myths and the facts and, and those things that we bring to the conversation about relapse preparedness? Um, from there, we go into looking at ways that we can Amen. use past. Yes. So when you just said, um, what are some of the myths, can you mm. give us an example of one of the myths that a partner could easily fall into? Yeah. Yeah, so one of the ones that I that I, I like to get into really early in our conversation is the idea that somehow by preparing for a relapse, there's this potential to believe that we're actually giving our sex addicts permission to have relapse. That's one of the, the very common myths that I hear. You know, if I, if I say, well, if this happens, I'm going to respond this way, then that's somehow saying, well, I know it's going to happen, and therefore, you know, it's like kind of pre-contemplated permission in that sense. Um, another one is that relapse, like all addicts relapse. And, you know, one of the things that I do is I try to be really, really, really brutally honest with my clients. I tell them, um, you know, you've been lied to too much already, and I won't participate in any more of that deception-induced trauma. So, you know, I'm really honest about the fact that relapses do happen, and yet I also think it's a disservice both to ourselves and to our partners that we believe with with little um, argument or counterbalance that it is an obvious or necessary part of recovery. So um, those, are, those are just two examples off the top of my mind of some of those myths that we get into. Well, absolutely. It's interesting. Right before you talked about that, I had just said that that was a situation that I as a clinician always worry about because slips and relapses mm -hmm. are a part of addiction, and yet certainly if I – if I entertain that thought with an addict, I have to tell them I'm not giving you permission to do this because I do right. believe with the right tools you can absolutely avoid slipping and relapsing. It is true. Right. And I certainly say that to the, the spouses, too. I say, you know, I understand that you don't want to entertain slips or relapses because you don't want to encourage that window of opportunity for your partner to act out. So it gets right. to be a real slippery slope. It's like there is some reality in it, but at the same time, mm -hmm. we don't want to encourage it. Right. And that's another thing, actually, that, that we talk a lot about um, in our groups is the idea that what an addict believes to be a slip or a relapse and what the partner believes to be a slip or a relapse don't necessarily have to be exactly the same. I mean, what I tell my clients is that part of trauma recovery, like at its very basic fundamental core, is about reclaiming our own power of choice in our own lives. So I tell my clients that if something violates their own boundaries, their boundaries, not their partners, but their boundaries of sobriety, transparency, recovery, activities like that, that it's their right and also their own responsibility to be able to say, from my perspective, this feels like a relapse and therefore I am going to respond X, Y, Z. Um, and I find that it's really important to give partners that freedom to be able to label things in ways that are personal, purposeful, and powerful for themselves, and to be able to claim that self-autonomy, even if it's a different or kind of a divergent perspective than their sex addict loved one might, might hold for himself or herself. Okay, so you said that was purposeful. What were the three Personal, P's? yeah, personal, purposeful, and powerful. Okay, that's that's a great formula for determining mm -hmm. what does the partner need to feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, for some now, people, words aren't that significant, but for other people, words really, really matter. So I find that it's it's important to give ourselves as partners permission to label things the way that actually holds the meaning for us versus the way a textbook or a recovery book or a therapist or, you know, even, even our loved ones, you know, use for their own behavior. Absolutely. Now let's just talk one more time. What is the difference between a slip and a relapse? Uh, 
So, you know, this is a situation, Carol, where you know way more about this than I do. So I don't want to be presumptuous in terms of presenting uh, my perspective on that. You know, I know kind of the, the clinical uh, uh, textbook sort of diagn diagnosis or when addiction specialists use the term slip, kind of what I tell my clients is that driving more of a one-time or a short-term lapse back toward that compulsive sexual behavior, maybe a lapse that ends with some kind of swift or serious intervention or self-intervention. So when that addict slips, he generally gets his butt back on the wagon relatively quickly. That slip might be considered a setback, but doesn't necessarily undo all of the positive recovery work he's been getting to that point. So for sex addicts, that might involve clicking on an inappropriate website, viewing something sexually explicit, and then maybe stopping himself before allowing that behavior to draw him back into this vortex of chronic and compulsive sexual acting out. So by contrast, when we refer to the term relapse, we're often referring to an extended period of sexual acting out, one where the addict does not stop himself, engage his recovery tools, or reach out for help to avoid getting sucked back into that pattern of compulsive sexual behavior. So I tell my clients relapse is often characterized by an addict's resistance to getting back on track, often involves an extended period of secrecy, some serious loss of sexual sobriety, an interruption in that detox from the neurochemical effects of sexual acting out, that's a big one. And so relative to the work that we do with partners, we recognize that a relapse deeply damages an addict's efforts toward relational healing, holistic recovery, and most importantly, restitution for the harm he inf inflicted um, on those who love him. Yeah, I'm glad you added that last piece because I, too, absolutely agree with you that a slip has to do with having made a bad judgment that may have been um, middle circle behavior. You know, I've got mm -hmm. clients that look at bathing suit pictures as opposed to pornography, and that's probably a right. slip as long as they get right back on track. But what I consider to be a relapse is either intensity, frequency, or deal-breaking behavior because mm. it's not a slip if somebody goes out and has a one-night stand with somebody. That is a right. relapse. Yeah. Right. So, okay, I just wondered what you determined to be slip and relapse. Mm -hmm. And what I heard you say earlier is that in some ways your preparedness program helps the client to determine what is their bottom line? What do yeah. they think slips and relapses right. are about? Because they have to feel secure in their own choices, whether the sex addict believes that or not. Right. And I tell, I tell my clients that, you know, it's so easy. I watch women tortured by this. Is it a relapse? Isn't it a relapse? Is it a slip? Is it not? He says this. I say that. You know, this this merry-go-round of conversation, and there is so much freedom in inviting clients to step off of that merry-go-round. You know, to opt out of that argument and to create for herself her own working definitions for whichever behaviors impact her in the most relevant ways. So, you know, that involves some strategy in terms of communicating and conversing about that with the addict. But also, I really encourage my clients, don't let that stop you from seeking and securing your own sense of clarity about it, because you don't need his permission to define what a relapse means to you or when it violates your own boundaries, and you really don't need to apologize for that either. Yeah, I, I so appreciate that, because truly that's empowering the partner to decide what is their own bottom line. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at what's the addict's bottom line, what is the partner's bottom line, and sometimes they don't match up, and that's okay. Yeah. I really believe you can agree to disagree, and when you do disagree about that, what are the consequences for the coupleship and for each one of them individually? So now, do you think there are mistakes that women sometimes make when approaching the idea of relapse preparedness? So I would say yes and no to that. So number one, I tend to think that any woman who even entertains the idea of relapse preparedness is kind of already ahead of the game. So like we referred to at the very beginning, she's less likely to be caught off guard if or when that threat to her safety comes knocking at the door. That said, the women I know who do relapse preparedness most successfully avoid making a few mistakes that are natural kind of some understandable assumptions. For example, relapse preparedness doesn't work 
if you expect the process to be one-size-fits-all. So in other words, Jane Doe's relapse preparedness plan won't adequately protect and serve Jenny Doe because their situations and their relationships are likely very different. So another example, relapse preparedness doesn't work if it only happens in your head. So in order to effectively implement a relapse preparedness plan, those plans really need to exist somewhere where you can tangibly reach out and grab them in the midst of a potential trauma response. Um, relapse doesn't work, Re I'm sorry, relapse. relapse preparedness doesn't work if it becomes a point of obsession and emotional overwhelm. So that's something as a coach or um, my therapy colleagues who work with clients kind of keep a close eye on that and making sure that it doesn't cross the line into um, a really compulsive or obsessive uh, pattern for a consistent long-term way of life, you know, relapse becoming the, the dominant factor in everything. Um, so in other words, relapse preparedness should empower partners to make a plan and tuck it away for the future. So it shouldn't heighten your anxiety into a constant long-term, you know, kind of ever-present posture of anticipation. So the last big uh, mistake, or what I would put under the mistake category um, in terms of relapse preparedness is some women don't recognize that relapse preparedness won't protect them from chronic and frequent and ongoing sexual betrayal. That's not the purpose of relapse preparedness. That's easily the mistake I fear most on behalf of my clients. So when I encounter women who are experiencing relapse on a daily or a weekly or monthly basis, I need to encourage them to pursue a different form of trauma recovery care and coaching, one that focuses most primarily on self-protective, emotional, physical, sexual, and relational boundaries. Because when you're dealing with that chronic sort of relapse behavior, that's a very different thing than an emergency sort of protocol. Yeah, that's that's a great differentiation. Now, I am talking with Galen Ray Emerson. She has a private practice, Women Ever After. She also works for Betrayal Trauma Recovery and is working down in Florida at Core Relationship Recovery. You can go to her website, womeneverafter.com, or you can email her at Galen Ray, which is G-A-E-L-Y-N-R-A-E, at womeneverafter.com. You've been in this business how long, Galen? So I've been coaching professionally for five years. I've been working non-professionally within this field for closer to 16 yeah, and tell us a little bit about the difference between a clinician and a coach. Ah, I love that question. So, you know, and, and I remember when I took my APSAS training, Dr. Barbara Steffens was, was so beautifully and eloquently clear about this. She said, you know, coaches can do a lot of things that clinicians can't do, um, but coaches can't do everything clinicians can do. Uh, by contrast, most clinicians can do everything coaches do, but they're not necessarily trained in some of the more um, forward, momentum-building, personal empowerment, um, motivating, uh, uh, productivity-oriented, sort of that forward momentum stuff that coaching is so beautifully designed for. So that really comes to play into play when it boils down to partners of sex addicts because if we, again, if we take that filter of those three stages of trauma resolution, starting with safety and stability, that requires action. Most safety and stability doesn't involve sitting around and waiting for something to happen. So for coaching to be able to get women to access their needs, be able to access their own voice, and to be able to speak that voice despite the discomfort involved in it, it can be a really crucial bridge from number one discovering what's going on to ultimately dealing with it in a more interactive or relational context which most often happens within uh, within therapy yeah good point and you know I love it because I don't know if you know this but I am a coach and a clinician so that. I feel like yes of all worlds, because I really believe in what coaches do. Coaches are not only support, but they encourage their clients, they find resources for their clients, and they help them figure themselves out based on inquiring questions. And, you know, mm -hmm. you are an expert in this field. You've got a great reputation. Now, tell us a little bit about BTR. 
Oh, sure. So um, I love Betrayal Trauma Recovery. By the way, that's what BTR stands for. So Betrayal Trauma Recovery is a nonprofit organization um, founded by a woman who's actually been through the APSETS training herself. And the most beautiful thing about BTR is all of the coaching that we do through Betrayal Trauma Recovery is online, meaning that we've got clients in Australia, in South Africa, in Germany, in the UK, um, the Middle East. We've got them everywhere. And because um, BTR only hires APSAS coaches, we know that we are giving our clients very well-trained, very trauma-sensitive support. We try to make it as convenient as possible, allowing clients to access either over the phone or on a video conferencing platform. And we've got coaches across all different time zones so that we can accommodate women in those various places. Um, uh, all of our coaching colleagues that we have at the Cheryl Time Recovery are amazing. I am very, very lucky to be able to work with them and, and, and interface between our coaches and our clients for the most part as well. well yes, and as you said, the founding um, member who also has been APSATS mm -hmm. trained, she really believed that when you're a partner, you may need crisis intervention at any time of the day or night, and BTR wow. is a way to access that by being able to utilize coaches all over the world and find a coach that it may be 4 o'clock, 4 a.m. our time, yep. but it's uh, 6 o'clock in the U.K. Right. And so right. It, it really is, again, an amazing resource for women and men that are in crisis, although I do think BTR is specifically for women. I, I hate to it do is, that to yeah, men. Exclusively. You know, men mm -hmm. get the shaft because there are men partners uh, that have been betrayed and you know, over and over. When, whenever I meet them, you know what I say to them, um, Carol, as I say, we need you. <laughs> So, you know, it, 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 we need somebody. We need more male voices who are partners, who are willing to and able to. And I know for trauma survivors, they're not always able to, right? But so at some point, be able to and willing to um, lend their voices to the dialogue because I think that's what it's going to take for the community of male partners to grow and to become more vocal, more visible, and more accessible. Oh, absolutely, and I did a show just recently on male partners, and mm. I, uh, one of the men said, who called in, he said, I wish we had a male partners group, and I said, well, please send me an email if you are wanting to, to create that kind of fellowship, and I had about five people that did. Mm. Now, I know that many, based on uh, half a million listeners, at the same mm -hmm. time, you know, Bill W. with AA said, if you have two or more people, you have a group and you've got that fellowship. Right. So now, tell me a little bit. You describe um, the fact that relapse preparedness helps you deal with relapse triggers, which include anxiety and trauma. So what if even thinking about a relapse trigger creates that anxiety and trauma, what would you say to partners who get triggered all the time, sometimes triggered by real-life things, and sometimes triggered by the trigger of unknown right. triggers? Right. You know, and it's funny because my answer to this is actually the same uh, as, as it is to questions I get about grief. Some women worry that if they work on grief recovery that they're kind of going to open at Pandora's box and not be sure they can tolerate whatever it is that comes out. So, you know, my, my answer to this one, my response about worries that working on relapse could trigger that anxiety and trauma is a little bit, little bit atypical. I think what I tell my clients is that if thinking about a relapse doesn't trigger your anxiety and trauma, number one, you'd definitely be in the minority because that's just the facts of it. And number two, I'd be a little bit concerned about her vulnerability to denial or dissociation or disconnection from the impact of what a relapse would actually mean. So the good news is betrayal trauma recovery coaching is all about tools. It's about empowering women to rally their resources to meet those triggers, that anxiety and that trauma, with skill, with self-awareness, and with meaningful steps toward a recovery end game, which is post-traumatic growth, right? So as a coach, I work with my clients through relapse preparedness by offering them an entire spectrum of different support resources to increase their tolerance 
specifically in order to begin having this discussion. So for example, in my relapse preparedness workshops, I both open and close every single session with a different exercise or meditation or grounding activity so that when the group is over, comes to a close, participants leave with at least eight to 10 different ways, you know, kind of in the moment tools they can use to soothe those triggers about sexual relapse or about any other trauma trigger for that matter. And can you just describe one of the exercises that you would give somebody who attends your preparedness workshop? Yes, I'll I tell mean, you about my give it away, favorite but one, just, actually. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So one of my exercises, and I, I gravitate toward this one in answer to your question because it's one of the most beautiful. It is extremely emotional in most cases. But we start out by acknowledging to one another that there are so many things about this experience of being the partner of a sex addict that we don't know. We don't know what's true. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know, you know, what's the motivation. There's so many unknowns. So I walk partners through this guided meditation whereby we write down or articulate to one another, what are some of the things we do know? So it can be as simple as the grass is green or I am a woman or my skin is warm, you know, kind of some of those tactile or environmental things. But it can also move into much deeper waters, like I am going to be okay, or I am not alone, or I can do this. And so by doing this guided meditation, women realize or clients, partners realize that in contrast to so many things that are uncertain, there are actually some really deep things, both internally and externally, that are very certain. And that can create such a beautiful counterbalance to the anxiety of a conversation like relapse. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Now, tell us a little bit about your workshop. When is the next time that you're going to be offering it? Yeah, so I am actually starting a new cohort on Tuesday evenings beginning May 15th. So uh, that's going to be the next one. Depending on scheduling, I may actually begin another one the following week as well. So it's five weeks. I try to keep it short. Specifically, the point being, we don't want to stay here forever. We really roll up our sleeves. I create time in each workshop session for women to actually do some of the work of putting the together the, the outline at least of their relapse preparedness plan so that they don't spend the two hours in the workshop, you know, log off and go get busy with life and never quite get back to it. So we really try to make it a working, functional, uh, moving part sort of a coaching group together. Got it. And so again, that course, how can they get a hold of you and how can they register? Yeah, so you can go to my website at womeneverafter.com and click on the tab that says Downloads. And mm -hmm. I believe the top one of the downloads says Workshop Relapse Preparedness. And in that uh, PDF file is a schedule of all five sessions and what we focus on in each of those five sessions. There's a copy of the Covenant Eyes article I referenced earlier, and then my email address. So I handle all registrations individually for this one rather than doing it by any kind of automated system. So um, anyone who's interested can email me or download that from the website, and then we take it from there. Okay, so now let me lastly ask you, you know, we have a wide and wonderful variety of listeners here at Sex Help with Carol the Coach, including women in different kinds of relationships and, and in various stages of their recovery. I mean, they're really all in a different place from betrayal trauma. Who do you think would benefit or benefit most from your preparedness planning? So I honestly recommend this group for anyone who is choosing, even if it's one day at a time, to stay in a relationship wounded by sexual betrayal trauma. It all goes back to, the, to that analogy of Hurricane Sandy and emergency preparedness. So I encourage women to explore what strategies could and would equip them in the event of a relapse. And then once that's done, partners find it more themselves more able to 
move on in recovery with that, without that fear of relapse kind of subtly and significantly honing in on everything. And it really frees them up to enjoy the potential beauty and benefits of a hard-fought recovery alongside their partner. So if you're staying in the relationship, this is one of those emergency, um, emergency rescue preparedness protocols that I think could be, could be really valuable for anybody in that situation. Okay, and lastly, I know you are a woman of quotes. I mean, you love your quotes. We I have do. been providers forever. Um, are there any quick and easy little tidbits you can leave for our listeners on this topic of relapse preparedness and yeah. quotes? Yeah. So when I when I talk on this topic, um, I pulled three little quotes, my favorites uh, that I always use in this environment. So the first one says, and this is, this one goes back a long time. This is actually on my graduation, high school graduation invitations. I love it so much. It says, um, a ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. So I like to relate that to the process of relapse preparedness in the context of recovery, that as long as we remain in the relative safety of that whole take no risks approach, will also remain in the relative isolation of missing some greater purpose and potential. Um, another quote that I like is the one that says, a bird sitting upon a tree is never afraid of the branch breaking because her trust is not on the branch. Her trust is in her own wings. And to me, it doesn't get much better than that in terms of identifying what our role is in the, in the path and the promise of relapse preparedness for our own sake, if not for our partner's. And then finally, this is one of my, my newest and, and favorite quotes right now by the Baal Shem Tov. He's a Jewish um, author, teacher, and philosopher. And it says, let me fall if I must, because the one I will become will catch me. Ooh, love that. Well, mm-hmm. Galen Ray Emerson, I am so happy to have been able to talk about this relapse preparedness workshop i hope listeners will go to your website and again i'm going to repeat Galen's website is womeneverafter.com so it's www.womeneverafter.com and just go to the tab section and and register for a five-week course that will help you to know how to handle Slips and relapses. Galen, thank you so much for your expertise tonight. Thank you too, Carol. It's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. And keep up the good work and keep me posted about other things you're doing because um, you're really making a difference in the lives of partners. Thank you. Likewise, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye. So that again was Galen Ray Emerson, and she is a partner herself who has made it her mission to help you through the trenches of partner betrayal and to get strong and to know what your um, tools are that you can use to stay safe and to live by your own convictions. And, you know, what I know to be true is that this is a tough situation for partners They didn't ask for this. They've never lived it before, and so it all feels like trial and error, and they're never sure if what they're doing is right. And and people like Gay Lynn have some helpful advice that you can think about, talk with others about, and decide what you're going to choose that may fit that protocol or may be just a bit different to fit you. So I'm Carol the Coach, and I am so thankful to be with you. I just checked that YouTube video is on about the sandwich approach. If you've got a sex addict that needs some help with communication, you might tell him to go on YouTube, www.sexhelpwithcarolthecoach.com, and look at the latest video on how to communicate to build empathy and reassurance in the partnership. And I will see you next week after I get back from ITAP. I'm going to be presenting on how to develop empathy in a coupleship. Uh, ITAP is the organization that trains certified sexual addiction therapists. I am a CSAT. Many of you know that. I'm an APSAT. 
that is Partner Specialist Organization, and I train in both because I really believe in helping clinicians to know what to do, how to proceed therapeutically and relationally, and then I help sex addicts I work with, the partners, and hopefully, if you are in a coupleship, I'm there to help you too. So as I say at the end of every show, there will only be one of you at all times. I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. If you're an addict, be honest, transparent, and authentic. And if you're a partner, take some time and breathe. Find some fellowship so that you know you're not alone. And stay tuned to other shows that will help you work through this issue. And we'll keep you posted because I think I told you last week we have a partner betrayal radio show coming up for you the beginning of June. And it will be specifically for partners. And it will give you specifically the tools you need to get through this ordeal, get through the crisis, grow stronger, and increase your own self-assuredness and confidence. Because this addiction was not about you. And it only affects you, but it is not about you. You didn't cause it. You can't cure it. And uh, you can't control it either. I am so blessed and honored to be with my addicts and with my partners. And I'll talk to you next week.